Welcome back, my friends, to These Are the Words. I'm Eric Grun, and we're going to be reading Precious Vessels of the Holy Spirit. The Lives and Councils of Contemporary Elders of Greece. These are the lives and the councils of the elders on Mount Athos. The elders that belong to the Orthodox Christian Church. These are their life stories and the counseling that they offer. Full of very profound wisdom that they directly have experienced. I have read chapter 4, Elder Amphilochios of Patmos, Elder Epiphanios of Athens, and Elder Iacobos of Evia. And now I'll be reading chapter 7, Elder Joseph the Hesychast, Or the Hesychast, Elder Joseph the Hesychast, Life. The blessed Elder Joseph the Hesychast was born in 1898 on the, on the island of Paros. His pious parents, George and Maria, gave him the name Francis in baptism. His father died young and left the family poor. But his mother, with the help of the children, who worked from a young age, managed to raise them in the fear of God. When Francis eventually left to become a monk, she recounted the story of his birth. When the roof of the house disappeared and an angel descended, explaining to her that he had been given the order to take the child. From that time on, she realized that little Francis would one day serve Christ. Francis worked in his village until he was old enough to go further afield so as to find better work. He found a job in Piraeus near Athens and in addition developed his own business, becoming successful in quite a short period. A number of years later, when he was 23 years old, he began a serious study of the works of the fathers. He was particularly impressed by the lives of the ascetic fathers. It was a dream he had one night, however, which gave him the decisive push towards monasticism. In the dream, two officers led him to the palace of the king. There he was clothed in a costly white robe and told that from that time on he would serve there in the palace. He was then led to, rep to reverence the king. Francis was greatly affected by this dream 
and decided to follow the monastic path in search of a quiet place to pray and to live in asceticism. He fled the city, living for some time in desert places. During this period, the desire to go to the holy mountain arose in him, and on a trip to Athens, he met a monk from Mount Athos, who agreed to bring him back with him on his return. On arriving at the holy mountain, Francis first stayed with the brotherhood of the famous elder Daniel of Katunakia in the southern desert of Mount Athos. He didn't remain there long, however, as his soul yearned for the greater silence and stricter asceticism of the deep desert. He eventually found a spot to live and pray in Vigla, a desert near the monastery of the great Lavra. Zealous to remain faithful <clears throat> to what he had read in the lives of the ancient ascetic fathers of the church, Francis became disappointed by the indifference and lack of spiritual fervor he encountered in many of the monks he met. He was anxious to preserve his spiritual freedom and not put himself under obedience to an elder immediately until he found a monastic setting in which he would be free to pray, live ascetically, and develop as much as possible. <clears throat> He grew increasingly disappointed and beseeched God to help him find his way. One day he was particularly afflicted by temptations, and after much prayer and weeping, collapsed from hunger and exhaustion. From where he was, he looked up towards the, the church of the Transfiguration on the peak of Athos and sensed a gust of wind come from there, filling his heart with a divine fragrance. At the same time, he sensed the Jesus prayer enter into his heart and pray there on its own. He was taken up into divine vision and beseeched God not to return him to earth. From that time on, Francis sought solitude and silence even more diligently, cultivating the great gift God had bestowed on him. He survived by fashioning brushes out of bushes, which he brought to the monastery of the great Lavra, where he exchanged them for rusks of bread. He would live on them for some weeks, that summer, for the Feast of the Transfiguration, he ascended the peak of Mount Athos to the Chapel of the Transfiguration. There, monks from all over Athos, along with pious laymen, gather for the feast. It was during this feast that Francis met Father Arsenios, a monk of the Great Schema, 
who would become Francis's co-struggler in asceticism. They spoke for some time and agreed upon the basic structure of the monastic regime they would follow. Afterwards, they hastened to consult Elder Daniel at Katunakia to receive his guidance and blessing on their endeavor. When Father Daniel was convinced of the seriousness and surety of their intent, he encouraged them and advised them to establish their life on the sure foundation of obedience to an elder. He asked them if they had an elder, explaining that without the blessing of an elder, no spiritual endeavor can prosper. He suggested that they find an aging monk and put themselves under obedience to him. After the period of obedience, when the monk had passed away, they would have the blessing of God to continue to live as they hoped to. They joyfully received the elders' words as a revelation from God to them, and zealously heeded them. Soon after having Father Daniel, the two soon after leaving Father Daniel, the two young ascetics found their elder, Ephraim, at the nearby hermitage of the Annunciation. The aging Father Ephraim was overjoyed with his two young disciples and did all he could not to hinder their zeal for the monastic life. There were temptations, of course, which came mostly from the monastics living nearby, whose habits and way of life infringed on the silence and seclusion the two young ascetics desired. Elder Joseph's solution was to create a small cave for himself under an overhanging rock with boards at the sides. After sundown, he would go there for six hours so as to dedicate himself more fully to prayer. The elder was completely dedicated to prayer and, being completely uncompromising in his regime, would not allow anything to hinder it. One feast day, Elder Ephraim and Father Arsenios went to a vigil at a nearby hermitage, as they were accustomed to do. Elder Joseph, however, dedicated to his regime, stayed behind in his little cave. While praying there, he was overcome once again by the grace of God. He was filled with light and beheld three beautiful young children approaching him. They walked together at the same speed, with the same rhythm, as though they were one, and yet they were distinctly three. They melodiously sang the verse, As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Alleluia. When they got to the word, Alleluia, they would bless him with their little hands, the way a priest does. This experience encouraged and inspired the elder to seek even greater silence and solitude to cultivate his gift of prayer. 
it was decided soon afterwards regarding the young ascetic's desire for greater silence that rather than cause problems with the other fathers of Katunakiya, it would be better if the three monks moved to a more isolated spot. Before leaving Katunakiya, Elder Ephraim gave Father Joseph the great schema during the service of monastic tonsure in the cave of St. Athanasius. The Brotherhood moved to St. Basil's, higher up the mountain from Katanokia. While this provided them with greater silence, life became, practically speaking, more difficult. They built small huts for themselves, but after the blessed repose of their elder, they decided to leave them during the summer months, when they would travel from place to place, seeking silence, anonymity, and spiritual guidance from spiritually mature elders. They spent most of their time around the peak of Athos and in the land further down the mountain. Though they would occasionally go further afield if spiritual benefit was to be had, on their journeys they would travel light carrying a bag for rusks, a fur-lined cassock which could be worn as well as serve as bedding, and a cooking pot which they used to cook wild plants. They did all they could to preserve silence, avoiding unnecessary encounters and walking and sitting apart from one another as much as possible. They would return to St. Basil's for the winter and remain there until Pascha. They were completely dependent on God for their food and other material needs, not doing handiwork, though Elder Joseph was gifted at wood carving. They continued this regime for about eight years, after which they stayed in their huts continuously. Soon after settling at St. Basil's, Elder Joseph was blessed with another divine visitation, one which would greatly affect his spiritual struggle. He found himself surrounded by the uncreated light. He saw a battlefield with an army of monks on one side and an army of grotesque black figures on the other. A, a tall noble general approached him and asked if he would like to fight in the front line. Elder Joseph eagerly replied in the affirmative. The general placed him there and inspired him with words of encouragement. When the vision was over, <coughs> the elder began to realize the import of the vision and prepared himself for the warfare he had willingly accepted. <coughs> One of the greatest battles he was to fight was against the passion of fornication. Considering his absolute ch chastity and virginity, 
He was raised in a pious and traditional Greek family, far from the immorality of our age. Coupled with the austerity of his life and prayer, the violence of the battle he waged attests to its supernatural character. After eight years, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> after eight years of battling with this passion, Elder Joseph saw that his endurance and strength was waning. One day, the elder was sitting in his cell praying, wounded, despairing, and virtually dead, as he recounts, when he heard the door open and someone enter. He soon became aware of someone arousing his lower members, and looking down he saw the filthy spirit of fornication that had been tormenting him for so long. Its form was as the fathers described, dirty, bald, with horns, wicked red eyes, and a body covered with bristles like a wild boar. He attacked the demon, just barely managing to touch its slimy, rough body, stinking of sulfur before it escaped. From that time on, the elder sensed the burdens of that battle leave him and felt like a small child free of the passions of the flesh. On another occasion, Elder Joseph went out one moonlit night to confess to Elder Daniel and to receive Holy Communion. When he arrived, he waited outside on a rock so as not to disturb Elder Daniel's vigil. As he sat saying the prayer, he began to hear the beautiful song of a bird, and his mind was enraptured by its voice. He followed the sound, searching for the bird, but in another but in another state, but in another state, which human words are unable to properly describe. <clears throat> he entered a meadow and continued along a pure white road, bordered by crystalline walls containing golden flowers. Overcome by the majesty of the place, he forgot about the bird and eventually came upon a large and beautiful palace. In the door to the palace stood the virgin Theotokos, holding the Christ child in her arms. He approached her and kissed her with great love and devotion. She embraced him and spoke to him, warning him from warning him with her motherly love. Eventually he left her, following a different road back to the meadow, where he found a beautiful mansion. He was given a gift there and was told that he was in the bosom of Abraham. He continued along and came back to himself on the rock he had been standing on. After his experience, Elder Joseph decided to go immediately to venerate the icon of the Mother of God in the cave of St. Athanasius, the Athenite. With a heart full of joy, love, and gratitude, 
he went to thank her for her blessing. In the cave, he was once again overcome by a beautiful fragrance, as a gust of fresh air which emanated from the mouth of the Theotokos. It enraptured him a second time until someone came to the cave and he fled so as to avoid questions. <clears throat> the two brothers continued in their ascetic struggle at St. Basil's, leaving infrequently to visit the peak of Athos for the sake of greater silence. <clears throat> Father Joseph's reputation as a gifted elder spread, and people came to him for guidance. In addition, some came to stay, but usually proved to be more of a temptation than a blessing, as they found it difficult to adapt to the elder's strict rule, and had difficulty surpassing their worldly habits. During this period, the two elders began to work more at handicrafts, this was facilitated by their decision to stay more or less rooted at St. Basil's, Basil's. Elder Joseph crafted little wooden crosses, though he was obviously capable of greater works. Even in his handiwork, he was careful to keep matters simple, realizing that more intricate work would invite temptations. Increased contact with the world, the need for more specialized tools, and so on. The elders thus produced just enough to buy the few supplies they required. Despite their prudence, the elders soon felt overburdened by the cares of the world that continued to encroach. For this reason, they decided to search for another more secluded spot that would give them the freedom for prayer and silence they had lost. This is how they came to hear about some empty caves that had once housed Russian monks near little St. Anne's Skeet. And in <clears throat> January 1938, they took their few possessions and set up a humble hermitage there. The beginning was very difficult, and Elder Arsenios bore the brunt of the work, as Elder Joseph was increasingly frail. Once they had fashioned their dwelling, they returned to their rule of life. In the mornings they, in the mornings they would work and receive guests, after which they would shut the gate and keep silence for the rest of the day. Despite his increasingly poor health, the elder refused to yield to the weakness of his body, faithfully keeping to his rule of prayer, fasting and vigil. Eventually, a small brotherhood of young men who were able to truly benefit from the elder rather than hinder him developed around him. Despite the influx of new brothers, the elder remained zealous in his ascetic struggle and in his general principle of keeping things simple so as not to develop cares which would detract from the spiritual life. The elder's concern for the younger brothers 
whose health suffered from the severity of their environment, convinced him to search for a spot better suited to their regime. Their first move was to, bu- was to a building in New Skeet, or New Skete, which was soon followed by a second move to some huts just outside the Skeet. As life in the Skeet proper as life in the skeet proper proved to be too disruptive. These new surroundings turned out to be conducive to their regime, and the brothers did all they could to preserve silence and stillness, realizing that the elder had sacrificed his hesychastic life near little St. Anne's skeet for them. The move had a beneficial effect on the younger brethren. Though the elder's health continued to deteriorate, he was soon on the verge of death, suffering from benign anthrax that attacked his neck. He was initially insistent that no medical treatment be sought, ready and willing to end his earthly sojourn. He did, however, finally yield his will to the will of his disciples. They brought in doctors who managed to to lengthen his life by a year. A heart condition, however, developed unnoticed, and eventually, on the feast of the Dormition of the Theotokos, August 15, 1959, the blessed elder reposed in the Lord, having partaken of the holy mysteries that morning. In this way, the Theotokos proved faithful to the promise she had once made to him in a vision when she said, Let him place his hope in me. Elder Joseph's life and legacy are a testament to the effect the life of one man, completely dedicated to God, may have on the whole world. Though the elder was cut off from the world and consciously shunned the vanity of worldly glory, people were attracted to the sweetness of his life like bees to a flower. Although few were able to heed his words in their fullness, his dedicated and faithful brotherhood managed to learn from him and to disseminate his word throughout the world. When the brotherhood dispersed after the elders' repose, His disciples shared their spiritual nectar with many others, initiating a rebirth of the spiritual life on Mount Athos, which in turn has, nearly 50 years later, spread outside the monastic republic into Greece and beyond. Okay, the next section is Elder Joseph the the Hesychaste Councils, and I will read his counseling in the next episode. Thank you once again, brother, for suggesting that I pick up again in this book. I didn't realize that I didn't finish the book. And now that I have the rest of the book, I'm happy to read it. And it's a blessing to me. So thank you so much. Uh, I love you. God bless you. And good night.